Just thinking about how the certain artists, certain celebrities, people will be like, oh, he was a great singer. He wrote some amazing songs, but what we'll remember most of him is his activist work. Oh, yeah, J John Lennon. John Lennon wrote some great songs with the Beatles, but, uh, you know, what's more important is his activist work. It's a million examples. Maybe there are some people who actually feel that way, but it's you're not necessarily going out, you know, oh, I, I, the only reason I care about this guy is because he supports the causes I agree with. You know, you, you care about their celebrity. You care about their fame. It's similar to when what I was saying recently on here about when people are like, oh, we got to talk about the victims, not the school shooters, okay? I'd like to hear a little bit more about the victims, okay? You know, when people get that way about it, it's not that they're wrong. I mean, that's the thing about virtue signaling, as it's called. Is it's, it's not that virtue signaling always means you're wrong. People don't really get into this, but when somebody virtue signals, they could be doing it about something that's right. We tend to focus on the people who we think are wrong. Like when a lib signals something, you recognize it as them virtue signaling, but you also are like, they're also wrong. So they're virtue signaling about bullshit. They're virtue signaling about something that I don't agree with on top of the fact that they're smugly virtue signaling. But it can happen, obviously, for things that you agree with or things that you feel are right. Where you're just like, yeah, you don't need to say that. You don't need to mention that. You don't need to s tell people that. Just do it. Just live it. Um, and, and so... Uh, you know, that, that virtue signal too, though, it's not just politics, it's not just social issues that every, everybody focuses on virtue signaling in that context, and for good reason. But it also happens all the time in any different situations, any different situation. And it's the same thing for when someone's like, let's talk about the victims, not the shooters. The sentiment isn't wrong. It would be really nice if the victims of a mass tragedy were more interesting to us. It'd be really cool if that was the truth. That we really wanted to read about the victims of the, the Columbine shooting. And I mean, like I was saying in, in an episode not long ago, we know some of their names. If you were around then, if you were coming of age then, just through the media, maybe through your own interest, you ended up knowing quite a few of the names of the Columbine victims. But any mass shooting in the last 10, 15 years, no. I can't tell you the name of a single victim of Virginia Tech. I can't even tell you the names of the little kids who have gotten killed in these other mass shootings. I barely know the names of the killers. Some of them I don't know it at all. Like I couldn't tell you the name of the guy who did the, uh, what's it called, uh, the high school in Florida. The high school in Florida shooter. I couldn't even tell you his name. I know that was a big one. But I have no idea what his name is. I really, I know that I've seen it before. But I really don't know anything about him. I know nothing about it. Parkland. I couldn't tell you a single thing. I can't even tell you the name 
of the Parkland guy. Certainly can't tell you about the victims. But I'd be more likely to know the name of the shooter. I'd be more likely to to be interested enough to read something about him. Not because it's cool. For some reason, the idea of things being interesting, people thought think that just means you like it. Oh, you find uh, ser- serial killers, you find bad things interesting. That must mean you like it. That's not how it works. And that kind of plays into what I'm saying, like the virtue signal of like, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the victims and a little less about the shooter. You know, it kind of plays into that. Where the reason you want to hear more about the victims is because they're, in theory, good people. We really don't know what they're like. But they're the angels in the story, you know? They're the ones who, at the very least, didn't deserve to get executed for no reason. You know, there's a reason we want to see those people as good or we see them as virtuous in some way. But the truth is, you know, they're not going to be as interesting. Not because they were less interesting as people. Like, if you, if everybody was alive, if the shooting never happened, you might, you might very well think, like, one of the victims was cooler or more interesting than the shooter. But when talking about the massacre itself, the very fact of the massacre is going to make the shooter more interesting. And interesting doesn't mean cool or glorifying it. I do understand, in theory, I understand the logic of if we if we talk about the killer and show his face, it's going to create more killers. There's something to that. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't think you can map it out scientifically. I don't think you can get truly scientific about what kind of influence showing a killer's picture or talking about them too much actually has. It gives them attention. I understand that idea. Oh, what he wants was attention. If we talk about the killer's name in the media, it's going to give him the attention he wants. You know, I understand the logic behind all that stuff. And there's something to it. But it's not, I don't know, it's just not the reality I live in. Where it's just like, no, these these bizarre things happen in our world. So many things are just mundane to the point where we create things. We create our own stories. We create our own drama. We create everything. That's what you do with your mundane life is you turn everything into a story. Oh, she said this about me, but she needs to apologize because... Uh, I'm I'm over it, but like I just need her to apologize. To you know, you hear people say things like that. Somebody said that today, and it's just like, oh, this is nothing. This is this is nothing. This is just something you created. Uh, so when there is something really really crazy that happens in the world, it's like I'm going to be interested in that. And what am I? What am I going to be interested in? The craziest part about it, the killer. But we want to signal that that's not us. Like you can get sucked into that stuff. Like you can, if you do glorify those guys, or you do have some sort of sick interest in it, that's different. That's you can have a sick interest in anything. You can have a sick interest in flowers. You can be perverse about anything. We know that. We know people can be perverse about anything. So, of course, someone's going to be perverse about massacres and tragedies. 
I mean, people are perverse about 9-11. You ever heard about being perverse about 9-11? Well, it's really common. A girl who worked for me, who I really like, she found another job, but one day she was like, do you like 9-11 jokes? And I kind of paused. This girl's probably like 12 years younger than me, so she, she was, what, like, I don't know, how old would that be? 25? I mean, she was not even conscious. She was barely conscious. She was a baby when 9-11 happened. But there's such a, a mountain of 9-11 jokes and 9-11 satire and conspiracy theories that bleed into jokes. Just a lot of joking. I mean, the amount of 9-11 jokes that go on, it's insane. I don't care. Like, but when she asked me that, I had to think about it because I was like, oh, like she's, she wasn't even really conscious for 9-11. But she just knows... She, she just, like, knows that 9-11 jokes are a thing. She was like, do you like 9-11 jokes? And she was a funny person. But I was like, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't not like them. Like, I've heard a, a funny 9-11 joke or two. And, I mean, it's not even that people, people who found humor all that, it's not even that they find the actual blood and fire of it funny. Like, oh, those people died. All those hijackers stab people with box cutters and like flew planes into buildings. You know, it's not even like the actual like mechanics of it are funny to people. It's more just the reaction, the symbol of it that people make are making jokes about. But they make some pretty crass, dark jokes. I mean, I would say any 9-11 joke is a, a dark joke. It doesn't seem dark to me because it's so normal. Like someone wouldn't think that making 9-11 jokes makes you normal. It actually is. It's really normal. The people who are into them are really normal people for the most part. But what I said to her, you know, this is the most that anybody's ever thought about a question like that. But in my head, I, had, I remember like pausing. I'm normally pretty quick with a response, but I remember pausing and not knowing what to say for a minute. Because I didn't want to say yes. Like, oh, yeah, I'm into 9-11. Uh, I'm into 9-11 jokes. That's like, that's the kind of guy I am. I'm just one of those guys who's into 9-11 jokes. You know, I, I didn't want to be, because that's not the truth at all. But I'm also not a, not serious about it. I'm not like, no. No, I take, how dare you? I'm not like that either. So it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not not into them, I guess. But what I was going to say is just, 9-11 jokes are such a big thing. Like liberal friends I've had joke about it all the time or used to. And you think about it and it's, it's, it's everything that they should be opposed to. Like it's the opposite of live and let live. It's horrific. It's traumatic. It killed a ton of people. And people just are kind of like, oh, 9-11 much? 9-11 much? <laughs> that's, kind of, that's how people are about it. Entire groups of people who are otherwise well-adjusted and normal. But if you were to make a joke about a mass shooting, it'd be sacrilege. It's not funny. Guns are a problem. Guns are a problem.
Cause it's is not funny. People would be really upset. But a nine eleven joke, I think it's just the scale or something. I mean, I guess people are really sensitive about gun jokes because it's more common. But number of deaths and everything, I mean, 9-11 was unparalleled as far as people deliberately murdering. And they tried to murder more people. And it was in the name of a cause that murdered a lot of people, uh, which was a branch of a belief system that's murdered a lot of people too. So it's just, it's, it's part of a, a larger pattern, but it's, it's treated just kind of like, Oh, you know, nine 11, nine 11, nine 11. I probably mentioned the song I wrote on here and I'm not just making this up right now. This is something that I've had in my head probably since the mid two thousands. I didn't make it up right after Columbine or 9-11. But I think I've, I've had this little song that I wrote in my head since then. I'm, I'm shocked if I've never mentioned it. But it goes, 9-11, 9-11, Columbine, Columbine. 9-11, 9-11, Columbine, Columbine. Uh, that's the whole song, too. It's just that over and over again. But anyway... Uh, you know, you, you can't really joke about Columbine much. People are more sensitive about newer shootings than they are Columbine. Columbine's kind of on the road to 9-11. You can be a little looser with Columbine, but not too loose. Because guns, for whatever reason, these incidents of gun deaths, it's not funny. Not that I go around joking about that. Like, I mean, my desire... My need to use shock humor that's just supposed to be shocking, like went out the window, I don't know, a very, very long time ago. So I, I'm not chomping at the bit to make gun jokes. I just know that people are way more sensitive about that. Even though 9-11 is on a, a scale of death and horror way larger than any single mass shooting and probably a lot of them combined. Definitely. You could probably combine them all. But I think the scale of it is also what kind of detaches people. It seems abstract. You know, it's unreal. Like most people can imagine cowering in a classroom. They probably have a slightly cinematic view of it. I don't think they realize what that actually feels like. That it's still mundane life. There's just terror in the air and you hear these pops like I think they probably I think most people would probably imagine a mass shooting is just like a spray of machine gun fire that sounds like an action movie and they they probably envision it much like a movie they, they probably even see it through a camera lens and the reality is it's like it's not that I've been through one but I just know this the reality of it is you're just sitting there in the same old world. You know, you're just sitting there in the same old air. But that's just happening. It's still the same mundane, normal reality. 
It's just something really weird is happening, but it doesn't sound or look like you probably imagine. I was talking about that on another episode about you have a tendency to think the same way about like the way a serial killer attacks their victim. I mentioned a video I'd seen, really awful video, really unsettling, where it's a door cam, like a ring cam as they call it, black and white, of a woman walking up to her front door to unlock it, and as she's unlocking the door, this man just runs out and just tackles her, just grabs her, and he tries to haul her away, but it's all so quick and sudden, it's not very dramatic, it's not what you imagine, like the big, lurking, creeping villain, you know, tiptoeing out of the bushes, out of the darkness, and just wrapping his hands around her and carrying her off slowly, very dramatically, all the movements very deliberate. It's like, this is just so savage and chaotic and fast. Just this guy runs out and just like tackles a woman and just drag, I think he literally drags her away. And it's the same thing for a fight. Like, a fight doesn't sound or look like a movie fight. It's a fight, and you're seeing something happen that doesn't normally happen or isn't supposed to happen. But it's like like the movements and everything, it's just, it's reality. It feels like reality. So I think that's probably what people imagine in a shooting. They have a very dramatic view of it. Because that's how, interestingly how we see things. I, I wonder the effect that movies in particular have had on like how we imagine the events around us. Because even though I know this, and I think I do less of this maybe than some could, I still see so many things as if I'm seeing it through a camera lens. When I'm imagining something taking place, something real... It's really hard for me not to see it cinematically. But I think, anyway, what got me going on that is just that people have this tendency, I think, to... They relate to a mass shooting. Cinematic view or not, they can kind of understand what that's like. They can imagine being crouched down under your desk in a classroom, hoping the gunman doesn't come in. Whereas I think it's almost impossible for people to imagine what dying in 9-11 was like. It's not relatable at all. It's just, you know, massive towers of fire and black smoke. Being in an airplane and not really knowing what's happening, but knowing something's wrong, that it's been hijacked, and then just in the blink of an eye, you're just obliterated. It's, this, it's, it's a, um, an international act. It has all of these implications. It's going to influence the entire world forever. I don't think that's something that people easily relate to. And I think it plays into what I was saying about people not really viewing 9-11 as a massacre or a tragedy, just kind of seeing it as an idea. I mean, that's really kind of what it is. And it was treated like an idea. Um, even the people who it's a very sacred event to them they they treat it like an idea too and a lot of what i'm talking about like having liberal groups of friends who are 
really loose with the 9-11 humor. It's not even really about 9-11 in many cases. It's really like an attack on patriotism in America because that's sacred to patriots and Americans. They, uh, they kind of uh, use it against the people they don't like, which explains a lot of things. A lot of people's views and humor and just disposition is really based on what is my enemy like? What is my enemy into? What does my enemy think? Um, I'm back to the beginning. Virtue signaling. Well, like, I guess what I, what I was what ties that together is just that. 9-11 was virtue signaling. You know, it was, it was virtue signaling from the top down. The terrorists were virtue signaling in a very direct and, you know, hardcore way. I don't use the word hardcore a lot. People used to use hardcore all the time. Dude, this fucking hardcore gay. They do this fucking hardcore. Dude, this fucking hardcore dope. Oh, this fucking hardcore dope gay. It's fucking hardcore dope gay. You know, people, they would just use uh, hardcore all the time, an adjective, I guess. But yeah, no, like 9-11, that's like hardcore virtue signaling when you crash planes into buildings. But then the response to it, virtue signaling, of course. You know, while many people, not all of it, it's often treated like all of it was. Like anybody who mourned 9-11 or internalized it or felt extra patriotic in the aftermath there's this idea that it was all virtue signaling no there's people who really felt that way but then there was a lot of it too it's just sort of like never forget you know that got made fun of that's part of the 9-11 humor never forget um 9-11 9-11 columbine columbine 9-11, 9-11, Columbine, Columbine. I probably ripped off another song. Ferajaka. The song that I wrote about 9-11 and Columbine is just a rip-off of Ferajaka. I don't even know what that is. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what Ferajaka means. Maybe Ferajaka translates to 9-11, Columbine. What's your name? 9-11 Columbine. My first name's 9-11, last name Columbine. Um, but yeah, like, you know, there's people who really felt Columbine. Or, or they, they felt Columbine. <laughs> there's people who really felt 9-11 is what I was meant to say. There's, there's a lot of people who really felt 9-11 Columbine. I'm feeling really 9-11 Columbine about this. But there was a ton of it, too. There was just broadcasting it letting the group know that you f feel it too that you agree you're on the same page oh look at me i'm virtuous too and so the the response to it this sort of flippant attitude to it because even if someone doesn't make 9-11 jokes just kind of a flippant attitude like no big deal 9-11 was no big deal that's sort of the attitude but that wasn't really a response to the tragedy itself. It was a response to the people who 
we're virtue signaling and and it's it's the hall of mirrors of virtue signaling which is yeah being like never forget these colors don't run all of that you know a lot of that was virtue signaling a lot of it was just fluff what they call fluff but then the response to that which is like 9-11 didn't matter dude who gives a fuck dude fuck america dude you know any of that is also a virtue it's signaling to your group like i don't care about 9-11 because i hate the country and i hate what it stands for and we deserved it because that was kind of my attitude when it happened i remember the day uh i keep saying columbine i remember the day 9-11 happened i remember the day 9-11 columbine happened that was a big day but the, the day 9-11 happened, like, I was this rebellious teenager, and I remember being like, we deserved it. We just, we had it coming. We had it, all this shit we're doing in the Middle East, we had it coming. That was sort of my attitude. And while there's truth to that, like, you know, the U.S. medals in so many different places, the Middle East in particular, in many ways, you know, we did provoke it. We did invite it in some way. But there was a big part of me, too, that just wanted to say that, that just wanted to counter-signal. Because that's what I was getting, like the Hall of Mirrors, it's counter-signaling. And, and sometimes it's hard to find the original signal if it even existed. Like the different virtue signaling that goes on by different people, it all starts as a counter-signal to something else. So finding the original signal, it's Buddhist cosmology, you know, there is no independent origin. Everything was moved by something else, so you can't find that one thing that led to it all. You can't find that one thing that started it all. You can't find that first thing. Same thing with everything, but in this case, virtue signaling, where it's like, usually the act of virtue signaling is already a counter-signal of something else. And so a lot of the political discourse, a lot of what people have to say about society, a lot of the opinions and views they hold are just a counter-signal of something that was counter-signaling something else, which was counter-signaling something else, just a laser bouncing off mirrors. And what shows that to me, like how you see that too, is how quickly views change. You can see it in the way that views, I don't want to say evolve, but just change. Because I don't think they really evolve at all. And it's it's because they're not so much views as much as just kind of this endless chain of counter signals. And I'm not going to get into anything. Eh, I don't want to get into politics or anything right now. I'm not really thinking about it much. Um, but if you look at the current Democrat and Republican parties, it's like how much of who they are is just one completely defined by the other. And two, as a result, you know, you know, just an endless chain of counter signals. It's pretty much all of it. That's why those they've changed so much. They haven't changed so much because they've been left to their own devices and and they're like, oh, we think this is a good idea now. It's mostly in response to the other people. And people will counter-signal even when, and especially sometimes, their enemy agrees. I mean, you can see this in the cartoon 
you know, Bugs Bunny type thing. You know, no, you didn't. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. That classic game people play with little kids. Where you say something about them over and over again and they say the opposite and then you reverse what you're saying so they end up saying what you said it's because like there's a mechanism built into us that does that it's a, a mechanism of counter signaling because that's all that is when you say to a baby no and they say yes and you say no and they say yes and you say no and, the, and they say yes and then you say yes suddenly they'll just say no it's just a mechanism that kicks in it's like no, this is a this is a chain of counter signaling. I'm supposed to just say the opposite. And uh, what was I going to say? Um, you know, so that, that's just like in us, and the current state of politics and identities and everything is the same thing. Because when your enemy starts agreeing with you, you either have to take it even further or just adopt the opposite view. I mean, I think one of the more interesting parts of this that gets discussed by some people, but not as much as other things, is just diet and health and that kind of thing. Because I spent almost my entire life, like well into adulthood, where the idea was that, oh, the people who are super health conscious and think a lot about diet are hippies. It's, it's the left. They're the ones who want you to eat organic food and um, eat well, not overeat, not eat stuff that everybody knows is terrible for you. The idea of the you know, health food store, the co-op, things like that, very left-leaning idea, far left. And then at some point, though, it shifted. Like, And one of the big lines that people used against rednecks and white trash and Republicans and that kind of thing. It was like, oh, the fat Americans. Oh, those fat Republicans, those fat rednecks. It was, the idea is there's, they're fat and they're unhealthy. They're aesthetically unappealing. They, they're barely functional. But we, we eat well. We eat healthy diets. We're healthier people. We think clearly. That was kind of the idea. This is what we're meant to eat. But through some weird game of counter-signaling, it became, the left now is, yeah, gorge yourself. Destroy yourself. You got sacks of skin hanging off you. Sacks of fat hanging off you. Order another pizza. Nobody, if, if ordering another pizza is what you want, that's... That's what you were meant to do. Nobody should make you feel bad. You can see where that you know went off the rails to the point that it the left glorifies that. It glorifies obesity, and you see this a lot in um, I don't know. It's in a lot of like artwork and stuff that libs are into, where it's like pizza. I'm going to draw a pizza. I'm going to draw a hamburger. 
they're really into like using pizza as a symbol like i brought this up before years ago but it's a it's a real thing and if you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about like obviously all human beings are into food people have always drawn food or you know worn t-shirts with with food cartoon food on them but it's like unhealthy food has become this thing that people are like yes i like all that stuff too i love pizza i love donuts but i guess i would never think about it as a symbol that meant something to me even if it was supposed to be funny pizza you ever heard of pizza huh <laughs> pizza <laughs> That's a whole thing. Like Macaulay Culkin is into that. He has some art collective that lives in a New York flat. New York flat. It's a note of music. Is that a New York flat? I went to the the symphony the other day. Oh, uh, the whole audience they they were they clapped when they heard the New York. They hit the New York flat. I don't even know. I don't know enough about music to to make jokes like that. Not knowing enough about music to make jokes about music. But yeah, Macaulay Culkin, he had like an art collective in his New York flat. And it was all, it was named after pizza and it was all pizza themed. Like this sort of ironic pizza aesthetic. What they call an ironic pizza aesthetic. But combined with a sincere love of pizza. It's it's that awful term somebody invented, which, you know, does refer to something, but post-irony. It's this post-irony where it's like, being ironic about loving pizza, but also loving pizza. So it became this kind of symbol people use. And it's it's meant to be like, I'm not that serious. Oh, I'm, I'm not that serious because pizza. I'm not very serious because pizza. I'm not very serious because pizza. You know, it's, it's this whole thing that people got into. But then what I'm getting at, though, is just the idea of like seeing unhealthy things and being unhealthy and being fat became this very leftist it became a cause that leftists champion. It's, it's one of the big things to the point where people don't shut up about it on any side. Like you not only have to endure that, but then you also have to endure the counter signal, which is not just conservatives, but anybody who sees through it being like, fat shaming joke. Do you like fat, sh- do you like fat shaming jokes? Where people feel the need to counter signal by making fun of it. I mean, we saw that years ago with the safe space thing. You don't hear that one referred to much anymore. But that was that was when um, people started to really counter signal the modern left, the you know, the hardest. When they uh, when like the safe space thing came out, and then the counter signalers, the reactionary types, were more like. What you need a safe space? <laughs> you know, it's like people started making a lot of jokes about that, which it deserved to be made fun of. You know, it deserved some level of mockery. It deserved to be opposed. But it got so obnoxious hearing people make fun of that. It became so obnoxious to hear all the counter signaling. It became you know, just as bad in many ways, as far as just not something you don't want to hear. The last thing you need to hear is another, you know, Johnny come lately reactionary, make a safe space joke. Same thing with like any, making fun of any of these things. Now there was a moment where it was kind of refreshing to hear somebody 
oppose that vocally. Like someone who, who saw the direction the zeitgeist was heading and was like, oh man, like fat shaman. Can you, can you get a load of the, this whole fat shaman thing? You know, there was a point in time where it might've been a little refreshing to just hear somebody address that, but that stuff just took over. That stuff just took over the culture. And it really doesn't seem to be doing anything to make fun of it or really address it at all anymore. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I definitely don't need to hear another person make a joke about it. But anyway, like, just the change, what got me going on that was just the change in political viewpoints and just the sort of dance of, of one way of seeing things just completely crossing the line and belonging to the other group. Because it used to be like if you were, I don't know, kind of conservative, traditional American, you were just like hot dogs, pizza, and beer, dude. My weekend, hot dogs, pizza, and beer. You know, that was kind of how it was. Whereas you would have seen a leftist be like, oh, I eat granola and uh, kale and, you know, if they eat meat, organic meat, grass-fed beef. Like, I, I really think consciously about what I'm consuming. Oh, and I went for a hike and a bike ride. And then now it's just like, what do you mean you didn't just sit in your bed eating Oreos and ordering pizzas? Do you think there's something wrong with that? I think a lot of that came through feminism, though. I don't, I mean, obviously, I mean, this, I'm just stating the obvious here, water is wet, but it's obvious that the whole fat shaming, body shaming thing didn't just come from, you know, a, a general observation that people were too mean about that stuff. It was really that like women, it was woman led and, and about women. And, and I mean, the same sort of people I'm talking about who make annoying jokes, counter-signaling it. Five years ago would have been the last person on the bus to, be, to make a safe space joke. You know, those same people... Um, are the same... What was I going to say? Those, those same people who would counter-signal that... Um, I don't even remember what I was saying... Um, I don't even remember. It was just this body shaming thing. I feel like I had a good point. Um, oh, oh, what I, I remember what I thought, what it made me think of it is like those same people, like the counter signalers, they're the same sort of people who would be like, nobody cares about fat shaming men. Oh, you know, nobody looks out for the fat men out there. Which is true. I mean, that's a real observation. Like the whole fat acceptance thing really isn't applied to men, at least not equally, not even remotely equally. And I don't give a shit. It's obviously a woman-led idea. Like, we've been made to feel bad when we're overweight. We've been made to feel bad. And then, like, what you don't realize, though, is, like, so much of that comes from women. Oh, 
we're told to act this way and dress this way and do this. Yeah, men have told women to do a lot of things. They've done a lot of awful stuff to women. But as far as like the social enforcement of it goes, women are so hard and nasty to each other. I mean, I see it at work. I've been talking to this with a couple of the younger guys who work there because we've all seen it play out where it doesn't seem to matter who it is or what it is. The women just infighting all day long, every day. Every day there's something else, and it's the biggest deal in the world to them. And they gossip about each other. They destroy each other's reputations. It's just constant. The men are totally hands-off. Like the men, not a single man there is responsible for any of this. We're just kind of hapless bystanders. But no matter who it is or what's going on, the women are just so hard on each other and nasty to each other all the time. And they say the meanest, most judgmental things, and it's women of all ages. Women from different backgrounds. They're just always being hard on each other. And trying to like push each other over the edge. It's wild. And so a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, like fat shaming and this and that, you know, yeah, maybe some of that comes from men. But a lot of what women have experienced, like that feeling, it comes from within. And they, and they would say that it's been... They've internalized it because it was forced on them, maybe a little bit, but I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. But a lot of it is just like a, a lot of like when a woman feels judged is her own conscience. It's true for anybody. But women will, will say like they're constantly being judged and evaluated and forced to do things. Well, everybody is. But uh, what women don't realize, though, is how much of that is just a function of who they are. And then women in turn do that to each other. And so some of these movements are very motivated by that feeling, that feeling that women have. But who's it actually coming from? You know, some of it was the husband who was like, you look fat in that dress. Oh, my God, you look fat. You know, some of it came from that, but a lot of it is something else entirely. But it was a very woman-led idea. It's not even that people care. It's not even that, that people are okay with people not exercising and eating terribly and bloating up. It's not even that people are okay with that. It's about how women feel about that. It's about how, how women feel about themselves. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an obvious case of virtue signaling too, where when they put an obese woman naked on the cover of a long-established magazine, which has happened, they're really not saying anything about the woman herself or anything that's going on in the magazine. They're just saying, look at us. Look at this. 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 That's what they're saying. Look at this. Look what we did. 
They're communicating something about themselves. That they want other people to know. Whether or not it's true or not. Often it isn't, but sometimes it is. But they're, they're communicating something about themselves to other people. And that's what the signal is. That's all virtue signaling is. I'm signaling something about myself so that other people know, specifically a certain audience. And then another person says, oh, well, I'm going to signal against that. And then you end up in a completely different place. You end up with Republicans who talk about diet and food the way hippies used to. And then you have liberals and leftists who talk about diet and food the same way anybody who buys a pound of chicken tenders at Walmart does. You know, so it's these roles have kind of reversed. It used to be like, oh yeah, the, the typical fat, ignorant, closed-minded, backward, conservative American goes into the gas station, buys a, a Twinkie and a, a really shitty hot dog and nachos. He buys a bunch of nachos and just gets fat and stupid. When that's very much, you know, what's being promoted on the other side now. Like, just go, just go into the gas station and get nachos. Just get a bunch of nachos. That's what you see now. It's weird how that works. But it's, it's really just the result of counter-signaling more than it is what anybody actually thinks is right or wants. Because it's too hard to figure that out on your own anyway. It's too hard to figure out what you actually believe, who you actually are, what you actually stand for, what's actually right. It's much easier to counter-signal against something else. This land is mine God gave this land to me this brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free.